Morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. I'm so glad that you're here. We're starting a brand new series today. This is kind of a shorter series. Um, we, we're calling it Relationship Reset. And a big part of us wanting to do a series like this coming right out of our Purposes series is that it gives you an opportunity maybe to invite somebody specific um, to talk about relationships over the next few weeks because it's all stuff that we all deal with and a lot of times have lots of struggles in. And so today we're going to be talking specifically about the relationship that we have with our kids. Um, we're going to be focusing on what is Christ-centered parenting. And we're not going to we're not going to cover everything. We're talking about it one weekend, you know, one Sunday today. But we're going to give you some uh, kind of foundational elements of what that looks like. And through this series, we're going to focus on three different, really important relationships in our life. Uh, today being parenting, and then next week is more um, talking through like what friendship looks like, what, what also it's like to be in dating uh, situations, that single life. And then the third week is um, ha having a healthy marriage. And so part of what happens for me as a pastor is anytime that we do a series like where we're not maybe just focusing on a book of the Bible, but we're talking about like some life application is that I know that there are going to be people that hear whatever the topic is of the day or whatever the topic is that's coming up. And they sort of do this thing in their mind, almost like subconsciously that it just uh, something clicks on or off in our brain, like where we hear like today is about parenting and we go, oh, well, my kids are grown and gone. And so you know, we just like sort of turn that off and think, well, this one's not for me as much today. But before you turn any part of your brain off that um, maybe would tell you that it's not important because you don't have kids at home anymore or whatever it is, I just want to encourage you through all three of these weeks that even if it's maybe not super applicable to your day-to-day -day life right now, that God still always has something uh, to reveal for us. And sometimes it's not for me individually or you individually. Sometimes it may be that God is going to speak to you uh, regarding the life of a friend or a family member that you also know is struggling in that specific area. And what God may reveal to you in messages like this, even when it's outside of maybe our personal day-to-day -day experience, is that um, he's giving us something that it can be helpful for others uh, to breathe new life into their situation and, and to be a support mechanism for them. So I'm hoping that through this series, all of us are going to take this um, uh, God's word uh, of what we walk through. We're going to take it and we're going to look for application of it, if not in our own life, in the lives of the people that God has brought into our orbit. And so that's my prayer through this series. And I, and I hope that God is going to reveal things that are in, in helpful and encouraging and can ultimately be kind of a life preserver that you end up throwing out to someone else as you kind of help them process maybe some of the things that they're dealing with. Today, we're talking about parenting. And as I've told you guys, you know, uh, many times you know my kids, many of you know my children. Um, we have been uh, parents now for 16 years. Uh, I roughly was about eight or nine years old when I became a parent. So I know it's weird, but, you know, we lived in Tennessee at the time. So it's not that unusual, but um, 
My, my son is 16 years old and my daughter is 14 years old. My son is 16 going on 17. My daughter is 14 going on 35. Uh, I don't really understand how that works, but it's the truth. And, and many of you probably have an assumption in your mind right now that says, well, Jason's kids, they're PKs. You know what PKs are, right? They're preacher's kids. I mean, that's like this terminology. You say, well, Jason and Tara's kids, they're PKs. They're probably flawless. And, and you're right, they are. They're perfect in every way. Uh, they never make mistakes, never talk back, never rebel. I'm sure everybody believes that. Like, no, probably not, because you're smart. Of course, being a PK does not preclude kids from going through phases of pushing back, of testing limits, of stepping across lines. I, I will tell you, we are blessed with two of the greatest kids that I have ever known personally, um, and, and, but it's not that they're perfect. There is no such thing. Every kid is going to have things that they do that tests limits, and we're no different. My kids do things, say things, uh, actually, maybe even uh, the things that drive me nuts, but even something that drives me more crazy, not so much the things that they do say or that they do do, but the things that they don't do or that they don't say. That's the stuff where it drives you nuts, you know, like where it's like you tell them something for the fifth time and they still haven't done it. It's like, I forgot. And it's like, you forgot that many times. I'm just going to go burn your room down. So, you know, um, <laughs> I would too, except then it would burn the whole house down, and that's not helping anybody. But my daughter, um, uh, Avery, she's 14. Um, she is a great arguer. Um, again, one of the sweetest kids I've ever known, but boy, she can argue. Man, she can really, really like win at some arguments, at least in her own mind. She honestly, I think you could put her up against like an attorney that is like practicing in front of the Supreme Court and she could hold her own with them like in an argument. I, I think she considers arguing a sport, like a varsity level sport, and she's intending on lettering in at all four years of high school. Um, in the process, she is going to put her dad into a retirement home, more than likely. But um, I, I started thinking about something this week, getting ready for this morning, is that I know probably a lot of what I just said, we all feel the same way about our kids. We love our kids, but we also know that there are things that they do or say or don't do or don't do that um, I, can make us feel a little bit nuts. It makes you feel like you're aging faster than you really are. And one of the things that I really recognized this past week was that there has not been an accurate way to determine a parent's age. And I know that seems weird because, you know, you know your birth date and your birth year, but what I'm talking about is like how you, this has been, you know, I don't know, the last 50 years or something, they came up with a calculation to determine your dog's age. Because if you say, well, my dog's nine years old, that doesn't equate to a nine-year-old human. It's way different. So originally they had said you just multiply the dog's age times seven, and that gives you a more accurate uh, number. But that's not even accurate anymore. They've even refined it more because sometimes dogs live to be 19 or 20, but you've probably never met a 140-year-old human. And so they even refined it further, and now it's they multiply it by five and add seven. So, you know, a uh, 
uh, night, I can't do the math. I'm not even going to try, but it makes it more accurate to human age. And what I realized is like saying that me as a parent, that I'm a 29 year old man, roughly, that that's not super accurate. It's like a dog. I got to give you parent age because you age differently when you have kids. And so this week, part of what I spent my week working on was math to help us understand the age of parents. And what I figured out as I did a lot of extensive research this week, not really, but uh, as I played around with this in my head, that the first three years of your child's life, you have an age uh, equivalent that means they age three years, you roughly age about 19.7 years. In, in those three years. That's roughly what happens. The way that I came up with that is that prior to having children, you slept. You didn't sleep all the time, but you slept in regular intervals. For the first three years of your kid's life, that is bye-bye. That is gone. Like even if you sleep, it's not super deep restful sleep. It is fitful sleep. And so you're awake a lot and when you're awake, you cross between two states of wakeness. You cross between like wired and I'm awake, but I'm actually comatose and dead inside. You know, so that's the two states of being that you have in your first three years of parenting. I recognize this as I was thinking through some stories. One of the things that I could remember vividly as if it happened yesterday, um, Avery was at home with a babysitter. And it was during the day, I think Tara was out of town, I was here at church, the babysitter calls me, and this is exactly what I hear on the phone, as soon as I say hello, she says, <laughs> Jason, <laughs> Avery, <laughs> she, she has split her head open, <laughs> there is blood everywhere, click, and the line goes dead, nothing else, that's all I get. Here's something I learned that day. A pickup truck can break the sound barrier to get home because I did it. <laughs> I have never been so afraid driving home. When your babysitter tells you there is blood everywhere, the worst thoughts go through your mind. I get home and yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting. I walk in and the babysitter is sitting in the kitchen floor rocking Avery, who's like maybe three years old at the time, rocking her like this. And Avery looks at me, at me and goes, Daddy! You know, so she's totally fine. Um, the babysitter, this was hilarious. She had taken an entire roll of paper towels and, and mummified. Uh, this is no lie. I asked her, I said, did you use the whole roll? She said, yes, I could have. <laughs> Stop bleeding. She took a whole roll of paper towels and mummified Avery's head and then balanced a bag of ice and then pulled a toboggan down over the whole thing. And so she literally, she had like a turban. I mean, it was like, she's going to read minds now, you know, it's like the Johnny Carson thing. But I aged a lot in that 15 minute drive home um, that I did in five minutes. But uh, a lot of the stuff that happens with our kids in those first three years, aging changes for us. And then from age four to 18, it gets exponentially uh, faster in the aging. It's calculus level math that I can't explain to you. The best thing that I could explain in how to do a quick math 
uh, problem for you that you don't have to get into all the calculus is for every year that you have a child from the age four to 18, just multiply that number times infinity. And that's how old you are. You're infinity years old once you make it through the 18th year. For us though, this morning, the thing that I want us to understand is everything that we go through in parenting, nothing is new under the sun. Nothing makes you different or in, in a different boat than millions and millions of other parents going through the same stuff. All of us love our kids. I can tell you for me personally, I love my kids more than my own life. There is not a thing in this world that I would not do for them, that I would not give up for them, no length of the earth that I would not go to on their behalf. If someone ever hurts my children, they had better hope they have transport to the moon because there will not be a safe haven for them on this earth. I love my kids more than anything. But even with that, the truth is parenting is hard. It's rewarding, but it is difficult. And it can be exhausting. And so what I wanted for us this morning as we start this new series is to take a look at some biblical God-centered parenting tips, just a few Again, not going not gonna to say that this is the entire parenting book. This is just the start of a direction. And these are God-centered parenting tips that Tara and I have encountered and, and that we really believe in strongly. And so what I want to do is just share these with you uh, to have a Christ-centered way to raise your kids so that they also will grow up to be Christ-centered adults that will be well-adjusted, that they will be loving, and that they will be productive members of our society. And part of the journey through this, even with these tips, the thing that I will tell you is pray every day for your children. Pray every day that they are difference makers in the world. Pray every day that they strive to look like Jesus in every aspect of their life. So I'm going to give you a few of these. We're going to jump to Scripture uh, right out of the gate here. Um, we're going to have our first application for parenting. If you have a Bible, if you want to follow along, uh, I'm going to be in uh, 2 Corinthians, specifically in chapter 12. I'm just going to read you a couple of quick verses in this. It says, starting in verse 14, Paul is writing this letter and he says, Here for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden For I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Now, you may not understand this yet, because Paul was not writing a letter to the church in Corinth to give them parenting advice, but he's making this um, illustration, this comparison, that is really important for us, for any of us that are parents or have Friends that are dealing with stuff with their kids. Paul, as he's writing this letter to the the church in Corinth, he's not talking about raising children. He's saying, I'm coming to visit, but listen, I don't want you to worry about me. I don't want you to feel like you have to take care of anything for me. I don't want you to do anything extra for me. 
The reason Paul is saying this and the reason he equates it to this idea of parenting, he planted this church in Corinth. He sees them as his kids. He feels responsible for them. And he's telling them, remember this, you know, that parents, um, parents are not the uh, responsibility of the children. It's the other way around. The kids are the responsibility of the parents. And he said, so I'm not coming there for you to do anything for me. I'm just coming there to be with you, to encourage you, to help however I can. He knows that for us as parents that we recognize our kids are dependent on us. And that as parents, we have to take the responsibility of caring for them, of meeting their needs. We have to take that as seriously as anything that we do in this world. That there is nothing more important. And so he uses this illustration. For us today, a lot of that has changed in society. A lot of it has changed the way that the world looks at it. There's this popular belief that looks at parenting and says, you know, parents, the best thing that you could do really is to just sort of let your kids figure stuff out. You just be their friend. That's what they really need in you is a friend. Don't set the parameters for their life. Let them set that themselves and then you just be there to just be a best friend for them. And the world also sort of says to us without maybe saying the words, the world says, and bonus, they'll be your best friend. They'll be there for you when your day's hard. Paul says that's not the way that is. I think he would tell you today, you actually can't be your kid's best friend. And you should not try. Your kids don't need you to be be their friend. What they need you to do is to love them unconditionally. To never stop loving them. But they also need you to speak truth to them every day even when it's hard, even when what you have to tell them is going to hurt, even when what you have to tell them is unpopular, even when what you have to tell them is different than what the rest of the world says. Speak truth to them always. Your kids need you also to set an example for them. Not just talk about the things to do, but show them. Let them see in your life how you live your life every day. They definitely need you to protect them. This world is dangerous. Don't listen to what any of the world would say that it's not, it is. It is incredibly dangerous for kids. They need your protection. They also need you to encourage them every day, to teach them in the direction they should go, to set boundaries for them, to put rules in place and not just put them in place, but to enforce them, to build structure around them so that they know what to expect every single day. And above everything that I just said, they need you to show them Jesus every moment. Now, a lot of that first little piece of advice that I gave you, it is not the funnest part of parenting. It's not. There's going to be hard things that you have to do that you have to set in front of your kids 
that you have to put rules in place and then enforce them. It's not always fun. When we set these boundaries in place and enforce them, our kids usually are not thrilled about it. They're not like so excited, like, oh man, yes, mom and dad gave me a bunch of new rules today. That is awesome. No, that's not at all what they're saying. They sometimes will react very strongly to those rules. They may lose their cool with you. They may say hurtful things to you. But I need you to know this this morning. It is so important that you weather it, that you don't change course, that you don't back down, that you stay strong. Because I promise you this, you are serving them so much better in their lifetime if they will learn early and consistently that this life has rules. The world will tell our kids every second they can that anything goes. Do whatever you want. Name your own truth. There is no absolute truth. That methodology, man, it's not just hurting our kids. It is sending our society over a precipice. It is sending us into a deep cavern, one that I fear that we would not be able to climb out of if we go over that edge. There was a study I found that was, um, it was actually a, a year before the pandemic was kind of the most recent one with real accurate information. It said that over 50% of young people now believe that gender is fluid. 50% of young people believe that gender is a spectrum, that there is no such thing as just male and female. They believe that a person can be either, both, or neither, something totally different. I listened to an interview of a celebrity, I won't say her name, but in this interview, she said that she has decided to raise her ch children as genderless. She said her decision is that the kids can decide for themselves one day what gender, if any, that they are. In the United States, I found this to be a really troubling number, that kids between the ages of 8 and 12, 63% of them have smartphones and they spend on average five hours a day on that device, unchecked. The ages 13 to 17, it's almost eight hours a day. It's a full-time job. Man, it's no wonder that kids struggle so much today. Will and Avery, our kids, I know that they would tell you that they both think that probably Tara and I are overly strict. Avery might even say, they're mean, I don't know. She probably wouldn't say that to you, but she would definitely say, yeah, they're way old-fashioned. They are way out of touch. But we've seen the importance of it, of keeping that strictness in place. They still have a great life, I promise. We're not mean. We take care of them, and they have a good time. But they do have responsibilities. They have chores every week that they're responsible for. We have lots of restrictions on their phones. They do have phones, but man, we monitor it. They have time limits that are on there every day. They have restrictions on what content they can get to. 
We don't give them an allowance. Like they say a lot of their friends get an allowance. That means that they're just allowed to have that money. No, we, we do give them that, but it's called, we call it budget money. They have to budget at the beginning of the month like what they're gonna spend that month. My daughter seems to think that all of her budget money should go to mascara. I, she's tried every brand. If you guys ever want advice on it, she can tell you, she knows them all. But they have to budget that because if they have a birthday party or something they wanna go to, if they don't have the money to get a gift, it's gonna be super embarrassing that they show up with a pair of their own dirty socks and a brown bag. Like, happy birthday, man, where's the cake? A lot of the stuff that we have put in place, I will tell you, they're not crazy about it. And at times they will say like, oh, my friends, they don't have to do this. They don't have restrictions. They don't have all of these rules. They wanna educate me on being a, a better, more modern, friend-based parent. That ain't the kind of dad that I am. Will and Avery are not my parents, I'm theirs. Tara and I know what's good for them. And I know that one day when they look back, I pray that they'll recognize it. And I also think that they, uh, they tend to disagree with this, but I also think that they will do the same with their kids. They vehemently disagree with that. <laughs> no, uh I'm not gonna be this strict. But I think they will. So the recap of this first piece of advice when it comes to your kids, be their parent, not their friend. The second passage I'm gonna look at is also a letter from Paul. This is to another church, one of his uh, church plants, let's say. This is the church in Ephesus. So this is a letter he wrote. We call it the book of Ephesians. Specifically in chapter six, we read this. Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, you may have heard that passage at some time before. I, I can remember hearing that passage as a kid and sort of like hanging a lot of hope on that passage. Like, I thought it was for me. You know, it's like, I, I'm wanting to like quote it to my mom of like, hey, you're not supposed to make me mad. And those rules, they are making me so mad and you won't like me when I'm angry. You know, that kind of a thing. I, I didn't understand the verse. I didn't understand the true concept of what was behind what Paul said. Because when he talks about not provoking anger in your kids, it's something different than maybe the way that a kid sees that. I, I've told you guys, for me as a kid, I was a fairly stupid kid. And so I, I tended to take things that I would hear and just sort of um, mold it into the thing that I wanted it to be, like that passage of like, you don't want to make me mad, you should take those rules away. Or, or another one that I love to, to think about then was Proverbs 13 in verse 24 that I'll just uh, quickly summarize that verse. It says, spare the rod and spoil the child. See, I heard that as an instruction, like that the Bible's telling my mom, don't spank your kids, spoil them rotten. That's what I heard, you know? It's like, don't spank, spoil. Yes, I love this verse. Except when you read it all the way through, it doesn't read quite the same. It says this, whoever spares the rod hates his son. 
but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Spare the rod, spoil the child. It's not an encouragement. It's a warning. You let your kids do whatever they want versus the alternative of taking the hard um, path, which is to correct when they get off course. It ruins kids. Proverbs 13 and Ephesians 6 actually fit together perfectly. Paul tells us, don't provoke your kids to anger. And you say, well, then Proverbs 13, that can't be right then because kids are going to get angry when we put rules in place. Here's how they fit together. It's the easiest way I could describe this was from a situation I got to hear about firsthand. This was 13 years ago. I was in Northern Ireland. I had traveled there to teach for two weeks at a a conference that was set up for young people in Ireland that were interested in going into ministry. And I was excited to go and do this, to be on the ground there with them for 10, 10, 11 days, whatever that was. And, And so some of these young people that I got to meet, man, their stories were so incredible, but there was one that really stood out to me. Um... I didn't know this before I went to Northern Ireland, but Northern Ireland has one of the highest populations of single-parent homes anywhere in the world. Again, you know, there's always these claims to fame kind of that places get. That's not one that you necessarily want, but it's the reality. Highest percentage of single-parent homes in the world. It's become an epidemic there specifically of fathers abandoning their families. And so one of the kids that was in this group that I was leading, he told me this story. It had happened just recently, um, not too long before I had gotten there. And he said that he had gotten sent home from school for one, on one day because of bad behavior. And the school had called his mom ahead of time to tell, them, tell her that they were sending him home. And so when he walked in the door, you know, he said, she's just instantly, she's angry, she's yelling at me. He said, I know that I didn't help things because I was disrespectful to her. He said, she kind of walked away from me mid-sentence. I was saying something really cruel. said, she just got kind of got teary-eyed and she just walked away. She didn't say anything else. He said, he sat down on the couch and he's already kind of feeling bad that he said something, but he heard her in the kitchen. He said, I heard her pick up the phone and dial someone, and he said, then I hear her talking. I don't know who she's talking to, but she's just telling this other person this whole story about everything that's happened and what I had just said to her. And then she hangs up the phone, walks back into the living room, and just sits down on a chair across from him in the living room. Said she didn't say anything else. And he said, they just sat there for a couple of minutes. He was like, I was trying to figure out what do I say? Like, do I tell her I'm sorry? Whatever it is. And he said, before he could even do anything, the front door busts open and this guy comes in and he said, the guy just looked crazy, just angry. Said, never seen this man before in his life, but he just literally busts in the front door, walks into the living room, looks at the mom. She nods her head at him. And he said, the next thing I know, he is on me. He's got me by the shirt and he just like, 
rams me down into the couch and his face is an inch from my face and he is just yelling at me, like pushing me into the couch like this and just saying, you will not disrespect your mother. You will never say that to her again. You will not get in school. You will not do any of the things that you have been doing. And if you do, the consequences for you are gonna be so dire. I don't even want you to think about how bad it would be. And he said he just stares at him for a second longer and just breathing heavy and like slobbering and sweating and red-faced. And he lets go of his shirt, stands up, walks over to, the, to, to this kid's mom and kisses her on the cheek and then is just right back out the front door and gone. He, I said, what did you do? He was like, man, I sat up. He was like, I was like straightening my shirt. And I'm like, what just happened? He said, I look at my mom and said, mom, what in the world? What just happened? And she said, that was your father. If you do anything again, that's what you will deal with. 16 years old, this boy had never met his dad and his dad lived less than a block away. The only interaction that he had with his father was the moment that he had messed up. He didn't take it well, as you can imagine. As he was relaying this story to me, he was angry still, still dealing with it. He said he felt the shock melt away pretty quickly, only to be replaced with this extreme anger. That story, as drastic as it probably is, is the difference between Ephesians 6 and Proverbs 13. To be effective in disciplining your kids and helping them walk the path that will lead them to a more productive life and helping guide them to be fulfilled in the life that God has in store with them, you have to be present. You have to be involved. You have to celebrate the good as well as deal with the less than good. That young man had never experienced anything with this stranger, except him disciplining him. It doesn't have to be that drastic in our parenting. If our approach to parenting our kids on the day-to-day is, well, you know, I'm pretty busy, man. My, my work's busy, my school's busy, my life's busy, everything is pretty busy. My kids are pretty good kids. They, they don't need me necessarily, you know, around for the small stuff. I'm just gonna take care of the big stuff. You're not going to find success in that approach. In Ephesians 6, Paul gives us the key at the end of that verse that I read you. He says, bring them up. That's not just a shot in the dark. That's not just a once in a while. That is talking about their day-to-day life. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's regularly in being involved in their life through the good and the bad. Here's the way to remember this again, just this piece of advice, this overall instruction. Live every day with purpose to raise your kids to be the best man or woman they can be. Take an approach that says, I'm, I'm sorry, if you take an approach that says, all I want is them to be happy. That's all I want is happiness. Whatever makes them happy. You're not going to ultimately instill happiness in your kids. All that you will do is breed narcissism, 
and sociopathic tendencies. You have to step into their life and walk beside them. You have to make the hard decisions on their behalf. You have to make those tough calls that they are not prepared to make. They are not the parents, you are. You're not their friend and they don't need a friend in you. They're your responsibility and they desperately need your parenting. There are times when they are going to be upset and furious because you laid down a new law or a rule that you put in place to keep them safe. But I promise you that in the long run, it is so worth it. The third and final piece of advice I can give you today, and this is ultimately the foundation for everything in your parenting, in your friendships, in your life. It's Psalm 119. It's just this one simple verse. Oh, sorry, it's actually two verses, sorry. Verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. Now, again, as the kid, I hear that passage, and, and I always wondered, why do my feet need light? They don't, they don't see anyway, right? Again, parenting introduced me to the importance of light for your feet. If any of you have ever had a child that wakes up in the middle of the night, scared because of a nightmare, losing it in their bed, you know, crying, screaming, and you're kind of groggily making your way into their room. As a dad, if you have ever barefoot stepped on a Lego in the pitch black, two things happen. You instantly learn to speak in a new tongue. <laughs> and the second is you go from groggily fumbling your way in to being wide awake. <laughs> there is probably nothing as painful. Now, moms, I know are going to say, childbirth, I can't have no babies, but I can step on a Lego, and I can tell you it's the worst pain ever. And so I understand that importance of light for our feet, of, of a lamp for our path, because we need to be able to see where we are walking. And it is just as important in our day-to-day -day life, in every aspect of what we do, and in our relationship with our Father. God's Word can and will make your path clear, and it will do it for you and ki your kids, but only if you instill it in them. Only if they see you living out your life every day, making sure that they see you live, live a life that is God-honoring, where you are loving others, where you're building into your friendships, where you are being a difference maker. Kids need to see that. They need to see that their parents live their lives for the Lord. Because if they see that, there is a much better inclination and proclivity for them as they grow old to do the exact same thing, to have a better relationship with God for themselves. This is the way to remember this advice. Show your kids Jesus every day. Not just in the words that you speak to them, but in letting them see your life. If you follow these three pieces of advice, one day, I promise you, when your kids are adults, they are gonna thank you. They'll thank you for not taking the easy path. 
I can tell you that with confidence because I was that kid. I was that rebellious kid that gave my mom fits at times. I was in trouble a lot at school and at home because I didn't listen. I didn't follow rules. I struggled because of it. I didn't make great grades. I'm ashamed to tell you this part, but I I have to just so you see the whole picture. I was arrested when I was 16 years old. I was very far from God. And my mom did all of these things that I'm talking about. So it's not to tell you some false promise that if you do it, it'll make your kids instantly perfect. No. But man, man, thankfully my mom never gave up on me. She never declared me a lost cause. She stood by me through thick and thin. She was an encouragement when I was down. She disciplined me when I got off course. She showed me Jesus every day. That's what our kids need. Maybe today you're somebody that's going through parenting crisis. You're struggling. Whether you're single parenting or you're co-parenting with a spouse, but you're just struggling with your kids, with multiple kids maybe. First thing I want you to know this morning is that you're not alone. Certainly God sees and he knows what you struggle with, but also there are parents all around you in this place that are going through the same exact things. Parenting is hard for everybody, for for anybody that's doing it right. It's not easy, so you're not alone. But second, because of that fact that we know it's difficult, we don't want you to walk through it alone. That's why we emphasize life groups so much here. I want you to get into a life group. Talk to Mike uh, when he was just on stage a little bit ago. Um, You can go on our website, go under the life groups tab, send him your contact info. He'll get in touch with you. We have a class that's coming up, the starting point class. It's a great way to get introduced, not just to Eastside, but to other people that you can begin to build some friendships with, that you can encourage each other, that you can pray for one another. Man, we want to help. We want to be there for you. So please stop at the Welcome Center or the the, uh, Eastside Central out in the lobby. Just let them know that you'd like more information, that you want to get plugged in. Man, I'm so thankful for you guys. I'm so thankful for our church. I'm going to invite you to stand up because we're going to, uh, in the same way that we end most weeks, we're going to definitely end with prayer and we're also going to end with a song. But as we head into the rest of this series, I pray that you'll be here every week. As we talk about friendships, as we talk about dating, as we talk about marriage, and to be able to take that home and then share it with someone who might be in need. Know that I'm praying for you. Know that I think so much of you. I pray for our church every day, and I hope you do as well. Let's do that together now. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for your son. Father, we're so grateful for the gift that he gave us all those years ago on that cross. We recognize today, Father, that all that we have is yours. I pray that we strive every day, in every way, in every aspect of our life to honor you, to be your hands and feet in a world that is lost and broken. Would you remind us, Father, to love one another and encourage one another every day as long as it's called today. 
Father, we love you. We're thankful for all that we have. We say all of these things together in the precious name of your son, Jesus, and everyone who believes. Shouted, amen.